I guess. No, I don't know. We'll just see. <laughs> One of the things that I've realized this year about is that I can only handle like five things. Like, but I'm do if I'm doing five things at a time, I'm like on a limit. Yeah, I'm like at capacity and I'm like on the edge, on the edge of losing my mind. Um, and then, yeah, and it's kind of this like this year. I was doing five things, and one of those things, which was Secret Garden Festival, which I programmed this one of the stages for, that ended. And as that ended, someone called me. Like I, I was kind of like, oh, I'm gonna have four things, and it's gonna be amazing. And someone called me like the next day and was like, hi, do you want to produce this project? And in my mind, I was like, oh, I was gonna have. I was gonna be okay, and then I was like, "But you, I'm just really bad at saying no to things." Um, and also, I kind of think in the back of my mind, I knew that, like the fit, that was my. I was like, "Whoop, that's cool. Back to five. Like I can do this." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I went back to five things, and yeah, it's funny that number seems so accurate. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, my housemates do sometimes think that that like if I come home, I cry a lot. Um, which is weird. Well, it's just like your body cries for lots of different reasons. Yeah. This um, girl I spoke to the other day, Elite, who's a choreographer, she was talking about how there's like so many ways of the body to express itself, but liquids is also one of those ways. And, and there's, yeah, so many different reasons That's for like water to fall out of your eyes. I was listening to a podcast the other day that was talking about it, someone who transitioned to be a man, and he was saying that as a woman when he cried it was this release and this catharsis and it just felt so good and then as a man when he cried firstly he'd have to sort of lock himself away in this room mm. and really force it out but also it just didn't feel as satisfying and so now I feel really like I don't know whether that was him as a per like whether that was a personal thing or whether it does have to do with hormones but now I'm I just feel so grateful that I can just like cry and just feel so much better like it's not I'm not necessarily sad I'm just yeah it's just it's almost like when you dance and you feel better because you've sort of had this like in release of endorphins i feel like crying yeah, yeah. is a similar thing where you just like you let it out and you're okay and my housemates have got to this point where they're like ah oh, narrative's <laughs> monthly breakdown like, it's like not even a thing anymore they're not concerned about me at all they're just like standard this is happening and i'm like thanks guys mm-hmm. uh, which is very yeah it's a very it's a balance a very yeah it's balance. almost like an expression of overwhelm and it's not, um, it's like a, an early warning sign or something. Yeah. They're like, hey, do you know, are you aware <laughs> that you're at overwhelm? I'm just going to send you this little message through these, this water out of your eyes. I prefer that than getting sick. Because <sighs> when you're sick, you actually have to stop. <laughs> I'm like, no time. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. <laughs> I don't know what I'd say. Um, should I just list the things that... I'll start it. Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Wombat Radio. Today we're recording at FBI Studios in Alexandria um, with an incredible guest. Hi, I'm Nerida Ross. The incredible guest. (laughs) (laughs) I I do things. Um, Oh, I just don't even know what I do. Like, 
I just like do, I like doing things, mm-hmm. um, and I guess most of it is driven by a desire to support young artists in Sydney. I think that's really po- important, and I think that Sydney has a really wonderful artistic community that people don't necessarily appreciate or recognize all the time. Mm. Um, I think we're really supportive and we have a lot of amazing talent. And so almost everything I do in whatever is just to help great artists in Sydney do whatever it is Mm. that they do. And do you choose the art to support or do you choose the artist to support? I guess the two come hand in hand. Like the, I'm usually it's I guess the art that I see and I love and then I meet the artist and I discover they're the great like the most wonderful human in the world which is so amazing it's been I genuinely think that artists have the best brains like I guess one of the things that I do is run a party called after party mm-hmm. the arty is caps locks <laughs> terrible name it's an excellent name it's, it's uh, an excellent night we have um Anna Kirk, who I I run it with, we just don't take ourselves very seriously. Um, but we take the art very seriously. But so it's kind of a bit of a funny name that we decided to give it. Um, but the sometimes we we go to the artist, and I guess the problem that we face is not the problem, but the the context of it is that it is a party, so it is in a bar, um, and it's a loud space in terms of visually as well as sound and trying to fill that space with something that fits in a context because I guess with art in a gallery, people know that it's art, um, but in a bar you kind of, you're working in a different context and it's been amazing. Sometimes you sit down with the artist and you explain the concept to them and you don't necessarily think their work fits and then they'll come back to you a week later and be like this is my idea and you're like that is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life like you can't we kind of sat down with a bunch of artists and you know loving their practice meeting them as people and then like example with Angela Go we sat down and her work can be um quite quiet and we she came to us and we were like a hop like we really love her work, but we don't know how this is going to fit in the context. And she came back to us and said, you know, I want to have a launch party for this fake brand and I'm going to make <laughs> fake ads and have fake logos. And like, it's all going to be exactly as it would a, a launch for anything. Yeah. And we were like, you have nailed this. Like, that is such a good idea. Like, I love your brain. Like, all of it, it's just like, it's, and it's funny because people come up at the end and sort of say, that was amazing. I'm like, it's not it's not me, really. I don't feel like... Like, same with I've run a talk series called Two Up that combines two completely unrelated topics. Um, so it started... It started... The idea came from a man called Adam Lerner who runs a... <clears throat> sorry. Who runs a museum in... Denver in the States and there was they sort of started it as a way of creating civic value within the community so they'd have someone speak about Marxism and German sausages and this kind of way of bringing people together 
because they're not they might be intimidated by learning about Marxism but you know everyone loves a good German sausage so it was this way of like drawing people from different backgrounds together and having a conversation and I learned about this thing and thought that's the greatest thing ever I want to do that um so it's been running for a couple years and it people always come up to me at the end and say like that was great I'm like I'm like I just made this happen but what was great about it was the speaker's and the, the the brain, I guess the structure, neither of which I did. So I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, thanks. But, but do you invite people? Yeah. And how do you know? That they're going to be great. I think about... Or are you wrong? Are you sometimes wrong? Sometimes wrong. Yeah, that's okay. But the benefit of having two people is you're never both wrong. Ah, so there's yeah. always... And I guess raw like some people are just i guess understand the context better than others yeah so some people and some people are just not as natural public speakers it's actually been surprising how many people don't like public speaking like people that work at fbi radio i've asked to do talks and they're like oh no public speaking i'm like you speak on radio every week to like a very large proportion of the city and yeah like that's different can't stand in front of people and talk yeah um but yeah it's so i guess in that i would say it's partly my fault for not kind of bringing everybody into you know to help them understand what the context is Um, and so what do you how do you recognize that something could be awesome and then invite people in i think a lot of the time if I am excited about it. That's enough? That's enough. Because then at least it'll be good for you. <laughs> or I just, I, I'm, a lot of what I do, I rely on the people around me. I don't think that anything that anybody does exists in a silo. And I don't think that, yeah, I am so beholden to all of the people around me. And I'm very unashamed to ask for help all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... If someone, if I think of someone or someone comes to me, I'll probably call like seven people and just like kind of, you know, do a bit of market research. I'm like, <laughs> would you, would you go to this? Do you like this? Yeah. Um, so a lot, yeah, a lot of that is, yeah, I don't think it's exists on any sort of purpose. Mm-hmm. I really crowdsource a lot of what I do. You make stuff too? I don't at all just don't i leave that up to people who are actually good at it i yeah i know i also think that making is so it's so hard to make in the world that we live in like to make something you have to take time out of producing and we are so conditioned to produce mm. and use your time in sort of this forward direction or yeah or achieve things and to make stuff you have to not only sort of take a step back and just do nothing like i think to be creative you have to not think or not produce you just have to think and explore and be critical and then something comes out of that but like almost all of the time in sydney that thing is not it doesn't have a value or it's not given the value that it would in terms of time and effort and materials and, and that whole, like the economy of art is just insane. And 
so I think I have so much respect for people who do create and make things because mm. they are like they are sort of te- it's like almost just like a protest they're like I'm not going to produce something <laughs> I'm going to like sit and think and be critical yeah. and then make yeah. something yeah. and then be compelled yeah and it's just I yeah it's just amazing so I have so much respect for people who do that and do that well um but I've never managed to like the only when I was in high school I did photography and would develop and mm-hmm. and you just the time in which you could sort of just walk the streets and meander the streets and and just take photos and experiment just just does not exist anymore so yeah um uh, how do you say no because <laughs> we've already established it's one of your superpowers when someone comes to you with something or when you see something that it should be supported I'm pretty I say no to things that I don't like for me it's really that I that don't fit within what I really want to do mm. um, so I guess that's the only time like if I like this year, Anna Kirk started a space under Frida's, which is the bar that we throw after party at, and she started a gallery space. And she was like, "Can you come on and and do you want to help be part of the curatorial team?" And I was, I said no because curating within a traditional gallery context is not something that I gets me really excited. Mm. Um, it's not that's not really yeah what I want yeah it just doesn't get me excited and I think that particularly when so much of what you do is for free and for the love of it you've yeah, got to be really excited um, that and I also think that things that <laughs> I'm really I hate faffing <laughs> what is this faffing <laughs> faffing like like if we have a meeting so I'm the executive producer of Arts and Culture at FBA Radio and wow. we it sounds like a very fancy <laughs> title it really just means I delegate like I'm, I just tell other people what I do and then I make sure that they do it and I, I'm like kind of a bit of a mentor to the and, um, editors um, who are amazing people I love them but we you know if we have a meeting they're usually at 7.30 in the morning because it's the only time that you can get six people to all be available at the same time mm. because no one, everyone else would just be asleep. But they wake up um, and come have these meetings and it's only once a month and they go for an hour. And at the end of that hour, I don't care if we haven't finished talking. Like we've, I talk pretty quickly, so we've usually finished talking about all the things we need to talk about. Yeah. But they, like at the end of that meeting that's the end and it's really important to me that you there is a reciprocal relationship where you're you respect their time and and you have yeah and it, it is articulated how much time that will take and also that they get something out of it and I think it's one of the things that FBI radio does really well is that you are a volunteer this station is run by volunteers but the contribution the, that you make is really appreciated and, and they'll train you and they'll give you 
response like responsibility and sort of ownership over different aspects of whatever we produce here mm. and i think that that is so appreciated i've done if i do work for sort of organizations that which I won't name in shame, um, but you know that they'll call meetings on Mother's Day that go for four hours. That to me isn't yeah. respecting people's no. time, yeah. um, and so that is, is stuff that I'll I'll walk away from. So it's really only if it's not in line with the things that I get really excited about, or if I don't think they're respecting your time. Mm. They're the only times I say no to things. Otherwise, I'm just like, okay. I'm doing my first um, gallery exhibition in June. At Down Under. <laughs> you just reminded me. So um, It's called Remap at Down Under. And it's trying to de... I guess it's... it's. Um, I'm excited by the tension between the world, which is like a mind construct based on the information that we've been given, and the earth... And maps somehow always sit in that place where you've got an idea of what something is because of the map that you see most often. And then when you see a slightly differently angled map or whatever, then your concept of the whole world is made different. And so I'm taking... I'm, at the moment, I'm like actually just asking people for their favourite maps, the one that made them like short-circuit a little bit, glitch in their brain. Um... One of my favourite ones that I'm going to be hanging is the submarine internet cable map. And it's just a world map and it shows where the cables that make up the internet lie on the seafloor between each different country. That's cool. It's really cool. I think my favourite map, which is probably pretty generic because I don't think I've thought that much about maps before, um, but is the um, underground subway map in London. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just think that map is like it is so beautifully designed, but also the fact that it is so not geographic, like it's not proportionate to the distances that you travel. And so as a tourist in London, you just, you know, you take the train walking distance and then you're like, what? I, I, I can see the other station and I think that that is the fact that design and the function of design sort mm. of became the overall like became more important than the actual realities of life were, is a really interesting thing I also saw a map that someone spoke at two up about um synesthesia and he mm. was saying that um one of these one of the someone with synesthesia had made a map based on the tastes that he associated with each train station in London. So every train station had a different smell wow. or taste. can't remember which one. And so the, it's the whole, it's the same map, same colours, everything. But mm. one, you know, Piccadilly would be cupcake. And then Oxford would be like cheesecake. And <laughs> they were not necessarily cake related. Okay. But yeah, it was... Um, I thought that was really cool because that's he, he, like that person's yeah, perception yeah. of, that's of their the world. world, which is really cool. Mm. See if I can find it where you can. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, one of the ones that was recommended to me by Leuli Ashragi, who's a curator in Melbourne, um, was the it's a world map made by the French of all the atomic bomb testing sites, and there's like a few in the states and then a few in I guess what the world terms the Middle East, but then there's many around the Pacific Islands. And just, oh, but obviously the Pacific Islands were not producing their own 
nuclear bombs or atomic mm. bombs. And then, yeah. Like, the, the, just raises big questions about where the fallout and where is nowhere. It seems like all the testing sites were designated nowheres. So you could just go, on, like, in the Nevada desert or whatever. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Look at you. You're a curator now. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it once. I l- yeah, you it's a big launch from um, ask for help. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, yeah, I think one of the main things that I've learned is that doing things with other people is so much more fun than doing them by yourself. Yeah. Um, particularly when you're working for free, because then you feel like you're just hanging out with your mates, but you're getting stuff done. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very, um, yeah, definitely a lesson for life. It's way more fun to do. I think that is was like the natural order of my life, though. I went to visit a mate the other day who just took over co-artistic directorship of Legs on the Wall, and because he had cooked the barbecue for me at the Big Bounce <laughs> as a mate's favour. Um, and then I like had this... Uh, like thank you gift that didn't even cover the cost of what he brought, let alone his time. And it's this thing that you mount in your vehicle, like behind the rear view mirror, and you can pull it down and you can put your Cobra in there <laughs> and then flip it up so it doesn't get squashed or whatever Amazing. and then it hangs upside down. Um, and then we were like, went and tried it out in a car and he's like, you want to come for a drive? So we go for a drive. Little do I know that we're going for a drive to pick up some sandstone off a building site to put in this ute. And so in our hanging out, in our planning for our next dance development, we're also lifting sandstone blocks. Yeah, very important. I um, thought that you were going to say that it was something you clipped between your rear vision mirror and pulled down. It was a things to do list uh, because a friend, Louis McCurdy, actually from Jewel J, has a things to do list tattooed on his upper thigh. And he just, just says things on it. to do and then has like bullet points and um i think that that is a great idea you have to keep shaving it so that it can ride on it easily i never considered it (laughs) but you should ask him um but he text him yeah (laughs) i am louie um somebody's been bugging me waking up in these cold sweats thinking about your thighs (laughs) he yeah i think that's a really great idea because i think that my brain like when you have so many things in your brain at one time, you yeah. just got to write it's like them the down. the recipe for anxiety. Yeah, actually, someone asked me the other day whether I was really organized because I do lots of things at mm-hmm. once. Um, and I, I replied, I think it's more of an organized chaos because I just have this one notebook that is just everything in my brain down on a notebook in no particular order so Mm -hmm. i'm you know if i'm talking about one project i have to flick through like seven pages to the list from there and there's just like it started actually i used to work as a host at the mca which was kind of a strange time because you can't do anything um, because you're standing in the gallery Mm. and you're invigilating the artworks and you're not allowed to have the internet and you're not allowed to all you have is a clipboard and a pen and paper and it it started this habit where i just wrote lists and like hugely comprehensive lists of everything that i needed to do so that when you left the prison (laughs) (laughs) you were you could you know be efficient and productive with your time and i i don't think i would have really come i don't think i would have been as organized if i hadn't had 
that forced planning time mm. and realized how efficient and productive it can be. Like, mm. I, I know, like, my mother would always say, like, time planning is never wasted, but, like, it 100% is so much better. Like, now that I have a job where I sit in front of a computer, if I think of something I need to do, I just do it and then but you're never really doing it in the right order and it's just yeah. not. And then follow-ups get missed as well. Yeah, totally. Do you, can you, mm, I find it hard to then switch from modes and then also being a maker, allow myself to know that there's shit to be done and then not do it yeah. because now is the time to do this thing that needs to be done, which yeah. is um, be incredibly... Uh, insightful and inspiring as an artist yeah. or some bullshit I think that I'm trying recently in the last two weeks trying to because well, <laughs> I finished one project so I'm down to four at the moment Whoa. so I'm like on holidays Whoa, pretty much I've to talk to you about a project <laughs> um, I'm I, on holidays you're like I've got five children and one of them's away yeah. at camp so I'm so basically I'm killing it <laughs> just have so much leisure time I don't know what to do with myself and I don't know if I enjoy it like people keep telling me people you know tell you that you should have downtime um and I and I I do uh, like for me downtime is uh, yeah I just don't really understand it um like I really like I'm a very social person, so I spend uh, like social time is is has always kind of fit around everything else. Mm -hmm. But like downtime, I'm like, uh, yeah, it's a weird, it's a. I don't know whether you become like this where you you don't know how to have it, or whether we're like born <laughs> nature versus nurture. I don't know, but it gets <laughs> to like. It's a big question. It gets to. I don't know. I, I've had like two weeks, as I said on holidays <laughs> and I don't yeah I'm like I'm ready to I'm ready to be overwhelmed again to be overwhelmed again yeah I haven't cried this month I know <laughs> I'm like what I just uh, I yeah. think um there's it is in the way that you do something as to whether it is uh whether it requires downtime as a break from it mm. and if you're actively curating what you're spending your time on so that it's with the people that it needs to be with and on the terms that it needs to be on then I understand that that is not that is uh hmm, you stress like EU stress which is this word that I learned that's like basically what physical training is based on that you strain the body's capacity so that it may raise its capacity but distress leads to injury and mm. pain and that's when you need to have downtime and take a break yeah but you stress actually is um the that's positive really form of capacity building and stretching that's a wonderful concept <laughs> hold on to that for the rest of my life but it's something that i because i went through three years of dance training at a university um somehow because I thought before that I wanted to be a breakdancer, but you can't study breakdance at a university. And when you want to get out of a small town, you just take any mm. any opportunity. It's like university or defence force or something. <laughs> it's like those are your two options. Um, and, the, yeah, the thing about it's actually if... 
It's what you're talking about, balance. If you can balance enough intense things, that's still a balance. Mm, yeah, that's really... And I also think that there's... Yeah, as you were saying, like, if they're, if they're the right things... Yeah. Like, I was working on um, this project that with Amrita, where she was creating a film video dance artwork <laughs> you don't need to classify yeah video dance artwork um with four artists mm. four amazing dancers um it was like Wanaga from Bangara Angela Tiatia Jara Rega and Benji Ra um Whoa. yeah stars all of them amazing and it was really it was it was really scary because it was the first time I'd produced a film mm. and I didn't really know what I was doing um, so I called a lot of people who did um, and that was even more terrifying <laughs> I spoke to a friend of mine who produces a lot of films she was she was like I was like it's really hard she was like I know <laughs> I was like what what did she was like why do you think I'm stressed all the time I'm like you don't look stressed all the time she's like just push it down um, but the the end result also, as a producer, you're just terrified because you're responsible if anything goes wrong, but you can't control the weather. It's a very, you know, there's just a lot of yeah. things. That's why you, you got to do a show in Darwin Festival yeah. because it's going to be dry yes. for seven months. You should write that down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> On your tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they, the end product was so reward. Like it went, it was so rewarding. And mm. I think that is yeah that's why you do it yeah because this you just get this and like that hard work and the the stress leads to this like amazing thing i think about with all of the producing that i've done which is none (laughs) um i think about maslow's hierarchy of needs where you've got um food and oxygen and water and then you've got like the feeling of safety from physical and mental abuse and then you've got like um space for education and creativity and then self-actualization is right at the top and it's like okay the people that are currently under my hosting or responsibility are they do they have enough oxygen okay i'm a good producer (laughs) are they free from mental and physical abuse yep okay and so like you you've already ticked it off to the point where like if someone doesn't get their line right on the day or they cry a couple of seconds too late in the shoot or whatever you're like actually it's really small yeah totally and i think what i learned about being a producer is that the two most important things are feeding people and just telling them what time it is. <laughs> like you just, I just like walk up to, cause you, you know, you're not contr- you're not involved really in the creative process and you don't want to squash no, it. No. Um, so I just walk up to the director and the cinematographer and be like, Hey guys, here's some cupcakes. <laughs> here's music. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's currently one o'clock and we have to leave by two. So see you then. <laughs> and just, then you do this hand opening thing. Just, it's like I've I've made space and meet me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like and then they'd come to their own realization. Yeah. They go, oh, okay, we only have an hour and we've got two more shots to go. So let's finish this shot now and move on to the next one. I was like, look at you guys coming to conclusions. Like, that's, that's amazing. 
amazing. You've oh great idea, guys. Yeah, and just like yeah. walk away, and it was yeah. very amusing. I had a really good time. I think it's about where things are done from as well. That's what I felt like mm. with the big bounce. Was like actually, if I feel like people are being heard, and I can give. I can make space for the artist. That's my job, mm. to make space for the artist, push back against the institution, make space for the artist. <laughs> then even if what they make is shit, it's come about in a way that I believe in. Mm. Um, so it's still a win. Yeah. And it's so, in, like, to give as a producer and curator and whatever – as the like admin dude, um, you, admin dude. you need Paradise. to <laughs> that you need to because creativity needs that space. space. Yeah, like that's kind of and I went to a couple of job interviews this year and they're like, you know, this is an admin job, and you're like, everything is an admin job, and they're like, how do you feel about that? And you're like, I feel great about it because you're providing the means for this creative thing to happen, and yeah. you know, as a some someone who doesn't make anything that is so rewarding it's a, it's like you just get to i used to always joke i did a masters of arts admin at kofa and i'd always joke that we'd as you'd enter because our classes were always at nighttime as you'd enter you'd be wearing like you know jeans and a t-shirt and all the kids with like blue hair and like amazing standard clothing would leave as you were entering and i was like but if we rub up against them as we walk in maybe some of their creativity will just run rub off on us and you know we'll make these amazing things and i think yeah you really do need to create space for them to mm-hmm. for them to create amazing <clears throat> things yeah but also um to be aware enough of the context that you're sending people into that you can make the lay of the land very clear to them as well. Like uh, I did this workshop last week at Critical Path with a British dude called Jonathan Burrows who has a great book called um, The Choreographer's Handbook and it basically says everything. Like you open it up and it's like sometimes stillness is the best response. Or a lot of movement. <laughs> You're like, well, so that made me feel better. I don't know if it's going to help me make a good work. That's but it's something nice to have in the studio when you're making. You... But he, he said that actually creativity is what you do when you get to the bus stop and you realise you don't have any money to get home. And then you have to be creative about how you're going to get home. Mm. Um, so somehow the, the construct that you present... And being clear with it and putting people in amongst it is the creative act. Yeah, I think that the... What did it say? Oh, it's gone. They're like the blue-haired people going home on a bus that has a timetable. Mm. One of the things I learned in... That was really interesting in... I wrote a research paper on the potential of digital participation to improve learning in museums. Um, but I got really into game theory because a lot of the um, a lot of the sort of rhetoric around participation is about games because people love participating in games. And I thought it was so interesting that one of the things that they say, which you wouldn't really assume, is that to cr- for someone to create a good thing you actually need to give them a scaffold. Mm-hmm. And it kind of blew my mind. Um, but And it really does. And it, it, 
in the context of what I was reading about, they're sort of saying, you know, if a, a seven-year-old or a, anyone with no artistic movement or um, sort of skills at all comes to something and you give them a piece of paper and a pencil, what they're going to draw, you know, what I'm going to draw is going to be pretty terrible. But if you give them a... a colouring in book mm. they're going to be the colouring in that they do is going to or a dot to dot or, or, something, dot to dot like or something or even one of the things that one of the museums that I was reading about did which is really interesting is instead of giving people a white square they gave them a blue circle and suddenly the the quality of the responses which was just written responses you know escalated in, which is amazing and I think that it is that thing of giving someone a, a little bit of structure and a little bit of mm. control is it like really helpful mm. it's because that's when in that way when you have a complication or when you have a challenge that's when creativity can come from something whereas if mm. you if the you know the water's your oyster and there's nothing to limit you it can be quite hard to know yeah. which direction to create Maybe that's and, why sydney's so awesome that's I hundred percent think so. Like that, and the fact it's that like thanks for making your art. No one cares. And no one cares. <laughs> totally. We have no <laughs> resources, no money. Yeah. Go. Okay. I and I think as well that one of we've um, we do a segment on at FBI called Art We Heart, where we interview artists that we heart. And then we really like and good explanation. Yeah, though. great. I've been, I've been confused about that for so long. Um, and we, one of the things that we ask them is, what do you love about Sydney, or what do you love about making art in Sydney? Mm-hmm. And almost all of the responses are either the beach, um, which is you know obviously something we love about Sydney, but a lot of them say the community that. Mm-hmm. existence in it is so strong and so supportive and i think it does look you can come up with whatever reason you want but i do think it is that we're very much like you know us against the world and yeah it yeah. means that people are so willing to help and give a leg up and and yeah. it's really awesome. somehow you can you can hate someone's work um but still value them as a person and still value that they are making their work because there's not enough of you yeah. to break into groups of shared value. Totally. Somehow. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, um, I like Sydney because it's as far north as I have discovered so far that I can be and still have conversations that engage and challenge me. Because um, I grew up in Darwin, so I'd be much happier somewhere that's around 30 degrees all year. Maybe Singapore or KL or something <laughs> awesome like that. Yeah. But um, as far as within my Australian passport, that lets me live in Australia. If I go much further north, somehow there's like the cultural need to wrestle with what will eventually filter into the rest of social norms like the cultural need to wrestle with gender politics and race relations and um predisposed patriarchies in like institutions like that seems to happen in sydney it's forced into your lack of interest in it and then suddenly you're like because your friends are dealing with it and then you deal with it and then you go somewhere else where people don't have to deal with it and you realize they don't even know what they think about it because they've never had to deal with it i think it's what like 
I moved to Brisbane for four months. Did you know it was going to be four months? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I moved to Brisbane for four months and to intern at the Gallery of Modern Art in Brisbane. Love that. If, if there's one gallery in the world I care about ever exhibiting in, yeah. performing in, it is GOMA. Yeah. It was a really interesting time. But I Brisbane, they, yeah, totally. And, like, one of the things that... I'll talk about Brisbane, is that I felt there is so much, there is so much, like, top-down government funding for the arts. Like, it was it was really evident, like, every weekend there was your regional food festival or your French food festival or your mm-hmm. noodle market or your... And it was, it was really safe and it was not from the community at all. And... It's interesting because, you know, Brisbane has this kind of, you know, we're trying to be this cultural destination as well as a casino destination, which is just confusing. Um, but they they really do see themselves partly because of Goma as well being the most, you know, amazing, well-curated, exciting, challenging gallery mm. in Australia. They... Yeah, they just really, they have this, there's this idea that there is a lot of culture in Brisbane and they're putting a lot of money into it. And in a way, I feel like the quality of art is better when there's no support, which I don't want to say out loud because that's, but like there's something, it just doesn't come from the community. And Maybe it's like um, in a cave system where you've got stalactites and stalagmites. Which ones? Are, mm, which ones hang? Totally, I couldn't tell you, but I know what you mean. Yeah, and so the top-down government-led funding of shit is the stalactites that like drip from the roof. Yeah, and they kind of hang down, but they never reach the ground. Yeah, and that's the opposite situation that you need. And but then the stalactites on the ground can't reach up and then redirect because they're dependent on that one drip at a time over centuries. <laughs> with a little bit of limestone in it or whatever. And, and then the whole... And never the tween shall meet. Which is why the, the like, redirection of funding Mm-mm-mm. is so... It's, like, heartbreaking because that is... That is the... That's exact... Like, that is such a good metaphor because there there is such exciting works being created by and they just kind of like drew, took all this funding away from the independents and the small writers and yeah. the small creatives and the and and to to create this sort of like national art that could be arts you know climate that could be exported like there was this you know there seemed to be this really this massive desire to have things that we could show to the world yeah. but it wasn't ref- it's not reflective of necessarily like what is actually happening on the ground and, and no. what young people are I understand that um like it's ingrained into us that if we are giving money away we want that money to be spent in the way that we see fit yeah like that idea of not giving money to a, someone who's begging because of what they might spend it on. Yeah. And then that is uh, within government policy as well. You're like, I will give this money if it is being spent on the thing that I think. But then by the time you're a bureaucrat, you don't know any longer what it needs to be yeah. spent on. And so I, I understand that is really um, 
a systemic lack of trust. And I do believe that it's not entirely unfounded. Like when you're on the ground, you can't see the overall topography. But when you're only looking at the topography, you can't hear the voices of the people on the ground. Yeah. And so how to do that? Because I imagine you move between these spaces because you're on the ground with the people saying, it's one o'clock, we've got to be out of here by two. But then you're also like um, speaking with uh, venues and institutions and bodies. And how do you... How do you hold on to both stalactites and stalactites? Yes, it's really hard, and I think that the... um, Sorry, I'm just going to remember my thought was... My brain is so... What was I going to say? Well, somehow you're listening to both ends. You're passing information between both ends, but then you're also an agent within those things. The... Oh, I was talking to, that's it. I was talking to uh, another speaker from Two Up um, called Bish Mazuk, who is a scientist, and she was talking about storytelling in science, and she was talking about how important it is for, in order to get funding, because I think in the arts we really, we, and in Sydney we feel like we're really hard done by, and sometimes it's, you forget that there are lots of other institutions that are, or like lots of other, like everybody's, well, like every sort of creative industry yeah. is struggling in some every way, industry, shape, or form. Private enterprise. Yeah, as exactly. Well. Yeah. And we, she was saying that within science, the there's such a focus on so much time is spent getting grants and writing grant applications and creating a narrative for the thing you're getting uh, yeah, grant applications yeah, for. That it leads the research. That, yeah, you have to kind of, it's like it's like reality television. Like you've got to have a good story. <laughs> you've got to be able to sell it. And the she yeah. was saying that there's a, um, that the, uh, that the, oh, sorry, my brain. <laughs> my brain. My brain. Um, that that the the best scientific experiments that have and changes that have occurred in recent scientific history huge call but let's just go with it um is that that happened because of experimentation they happened because someone just gave someone a bunch of money and didn't say can you what are deliver you know deliver deliver these things or come back and show me how you spent it yeah, and yeah. you know that's really I think true for the arts as well. If you, you know, if you, you like contemporary you art is curator, weird. Like as a producer, you get the people together. Yeah. You're given the scaffolding, but then sometimes it's not like we had a um, one of the after parties we had last year was 110 percent um, curated and night um, and Oasis, which is a. DJ Trio and Hissy Fit, which are performance art trio, um, and 110%, who are also performance art trio, all performed. And Hissy Fit did a one and a half hour endurance performance piece, which was a. They ran on the spot for one and a half hours to German rave music that was really intense and, like, you know not easy listening not party music and so many people stayed like i as soon as they started because i knew it was going to go for an hour and a half so many people i thought that everyone would just leave Mm. and that was fine like i wasn't 
if that if everybody left, I'd still be stoked because I really like Hizzy for his work, and I think that some yeah sometimes I just think you just got like contemporary arts just you know it's not always an enjoyable experience or you know there are different there that's kind of the point of it and so many people stayed like almost the crowd were just hypnotized by this Mm. performance and they you know people I know who were there who had no artistic background who weren't that you know sort of chin stroking and saying oh like isn't this fabulous contemporary performance art they stayed and they were there because the experience kind of for that experience being weird and different and exciting and I I think that that's so important and yeah you sometimes you go to a performance art and you're like um underbelly arts festival had a pitch night the other night which was um a night for a bunch of philanthropists to support because they need money to make those arts and so they were pitching their projects and um, Ivy Wan did a dance piece, you know, where they're it was so beautiful, actually. They're all wearing cream. Her and another dancer, Trishwood, Trish were wearing um, cream and just hugging and sort of moving their bodies in, in different ways on this little cream carpet. And the whole audience was silent. Like, you could hear people breathing. It was incredible. And I think that... And I don't know how the rest... Because I was just, like, in awe of this performance. It was so beautiful. But I don't know how the rest of the audience felt. And there was another performance by um, Nat Abbott and Harriet Gillies where they were, <laughs> were topless, wearing wigs, reading out everything they needed for to buy for their performance. And they were just, like, some of the most... You know, two, it went from, like, two whiteboards to, like seven white doves like just crazy stuff um and as nat abbott read out the list harriet gillies was sort of sucking on giant skin colored balloons that looked like she was sucking cocks and they the you know the tension in the audience was because they you know it's an older crowd and mm-hmm. it was funny and you know um eugene Choi was there and she was you know laughing hysterically and we were all laughing hysterically but the older crowd were kind of looking at it and they were really confused and and didn't know what really what to do and I think quite a, a lot of them probably felt quite uncomfortable and I think that's a really interesting relationship because there's this and one of the women next to me you know said oh like you know what is this and her husband turned to her and said like this is what young people have to do now to get money. Like, they have to make... <laughs> this is what... Like, they've got to make a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was... I don't know. It's really taking... I think we're really lucky with After Party because our audience is pretty open and really accepting of pretty much everything we do. But the... Um, yeah, it's... it's a, reaching, as you said, like, the, the top echelons and with this sort of... Gra- like um, grassroots stuff that I don't know if they, they ever do really necessarily connect um, they're, they're supposed to eventually connect and then form pillars mm, that's um, the dream yeah that is the dream let's keep working towards that yeah there's um a really and to me 
So the National is a show at the MCA at the moment. Well, it's on at Carajux and the MCA in Arca, New South Wales. And the MCA has supported the kind of curatorial premise of it. It's supposed to be um, looking at a survey of Australia art now, I guess. is And the MCA has supported mid-career artists. Like, that's kind of their their niche that they've decided to pick on and there's a couple works in there that were a friend and I I don't necessarily really enjoy and that was a really (laughs) vex I don't like one some of the works in the in the show and I was saying you know I just don't think that this is relevant anymore like this is you know we're I, I read and my friend who I was speaking to said, yeah, I, I bet you this work was made in 2001, which kind of sounds like it was yesterday, but then you think about it, it was like 16 years ago. Yeah. Um, and it's a film work and then the credits rolled up and it said, you know, this was made in 2001. Um, and we kind of laughed at how accurate we wow. were in selecting that date because, and I think there is, there is this, like, to me as a young person, there is, it's like... 16 years ago like time and and space and technology is moving so quickly something that is was really important to say in 2001 is not 2001 is when the first fast and furious came out cute (laughs) (laughs) and now and now we just we're up to eight yeah furious. oh no sorry you I'm, wish I'm, <laughs> you have information have you no. been on a movie studio shoot no. lately um, you heard it here first don't want yeah. that right <laughs> yeah I think that there there's a the time anyway yeah, so time time is shorter and what's the logistics how do you logistically do you just like call people and be like hey I've got this thing that I'm going to do how do you do it when you do it and then call other people and then do the thing that that's they a question I get asked a lot and it's like people are like how do you do it and you're like i don't like you just do it like with two up which i you know started two years ago everyone's like how do you do it i'm like you i just called up you call a venue and you say can i do this and then you get you call up a speaker like it's just i think you just sit down and you, it's like walking. You just put one foot in front of the other or mm-hmm. you write a list of, you know, list. what steps you okay. list. list. You write a list of the steps that you need to take and then you do them and if you don't know how to do it, you call someone and you ask. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a real... I, I think that being... Believing that you can is yeah. probably the first. Or almost like knowing that you can't... It's not that you can yet... But knowing that if you put in the effort, totally, like when I knowing that you have permission, maybe is better than can. Yeah, because this is what I found with. I'll bring it back to dance training, but anything that relies on physical skill, is that it's not about knowing that you can because you can't. It's not Mm -hmm. about believing that you can do a backflip because you can't yet. You will bust your spinal cord, but it's about (laughs) knowing that you have the permission to learn how to. And then you have the permission to use the time of people who have worked it out. And then you have the permission to fail in the lead up to being able to do it. It's something like you have permission to work. Mm. And that's more important than believing that totally. you can. And I th- like when I, um, I was asked to produce this film for Amrita 
and I called my best friend who has produced films and uh, is an incredibly talented human and I said oh I've like Amrit asked me to do this thing and he kind of he defense says he didn't say this but I'm pretty sure he did <laughs> uh, you heard what you needed yeah, he said he goes oh, I don't think you can do that and I was like like and like He's my best friend, and you know we're very straight up with each other, and so like, sort of no offense taken, but and uh, there are moments when I didn't think I could do it in the process, but I, I was like, no, like I was like I, th- I was like pretty sure, pretty, <laughs> well, I, I think I can. <laughs> I was like I'm, like yes, but no, I think I can do this. It can't be like I was like it can't be that hard. <laughs> Um, this like famous last word. Yes, totally. I know. There were like three weeks later, I was like crying and you know losing, um, but losing hair, losing my mind. Oh, um, okay. But I was, and in that point, I you know called people who knew what they were doing, and and it was fine. Actually, speaking to, I speak to a lot of film producers who made it seem really really hard, and then I called the cinematographer, and she was like. Don't worry about it. She's amazing. Sammy Hawker is just the greatest human alive. She just made... When you're working with other people who are incredibly skilled, yeah. your job is a lot easier. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're working with Benji Ryan, you know that everything she creates is going to be of incredibly high quality. And then the cinematographer, it's like you can't really go wrong when the two most important people are, you know, outstanding. So it's pretty pretty easy in when you think about it. And I think as well what you're saying, like, the knowing what to be stressed about, like things are going to go wrong and there's okay. Yeah. Like it's not, but if the right people are there and they're being treated well, yeah, then you've got your two biggest things. Totally. Like, and I, and it doesn't even have to be fancy. Like they don't even have to be famous or, um, super talented in an outrageous way. I just think about rice and I think about how rice is so incredible <laughs> with so many things. And I actually have a, a manga, which I bought from Kyoto, which is like called the joy of rice. And it just goes through all the different ways that rice improves your life. In, not in health benefits, just in pleasure of yeah. how different ways to eat it. That's cool. And how people, some people talk about it as comfort food or how different people cook it different ways. But like, um, yeah, that if the basics are right, then it only takes like a little bit of sauce, like yeah. a little bit of vegetable, and you're like, mmm, you're nourished. Yeah, it's such a good feeling. <laughs> right. um, can you talk about the four? You four said things. four things at the moment, uh, quite a lot, yeah. The first thing is two up so the talk series that i run yeah. that combines two completely unrelated topics which is a monthly event um and it's the, live yeah it's yeah. live i tried to podcast it and the sound quality it was actually it just wasn't interesting to listen to mm. i don't know there's something about the energy there's two things there's something about the energy in the room and there's something about the 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 second so after they they have their unrelated topics there's a there's a conversation um where the audience and i think it's really important that both of the talks go for about 15 minutes um and then the conversation happens afterwards 
And I think that's really important because I can't concentrate for longer than that. And I, and it means that people are asking questions based on things they actually care about rather than someone sort of got talking about for hours. And it's really, yeah, it's really, the conversations are always really good. Mm. Um, I don't know what it is about the audience, but they don't ask, you know, re- make really long statements just to try and express their own intelligence, which is great. That's um, great. So, uh, yeah, my audience as well, I appreciate <laughs> I don't know who you are, but I love you. Um, that and After Party, which is a monthly party. It's, it's essentially a performance night. Um, and it is to celebrate it's to feature a, a contemporary artist each month and mm-hmm. with sort of a, I would say like a extended installation or an extended performance so mm-hmm. they have a performance but then the theme of the night um, it's kind of all it becomes quite an immersive space um, which is really nice and then I work at UNSW as a program curator on or coordinator on a project called Brightside that um, joins UNSW students with a sort of at-risk kids from the PCYC in Wilmaloo. So they do art making, with, which is really lovely. And then, what is my fourth? Oh, and then I'm the executive producer of FBI Radio. <laughs> Sometimes I forget what I do. Um, yeah which is of arts and culture at FBI. Um, and then I recently became, <laughs> I recently learned to DJ because I was getting really frustrated with the fact that um, DJs are the sort of have a, a fee. Like we were at After Party, we were paying the DJs almost equivalent to what we were paying the artists. Mm. And that, I just don't understand how they managed to sort of all band together and be like, this is our fee. Um, Because there's so many of them. Like, it's not even a supply and demand thing. They're just like, I don't know whether they unionize. Like, I don't understand what happened. But, like, artists have not managed to sort of um, put their like create yeah kind of like mm. put value onto their skills as much as um djing has so that's kind of like a half a thing um but yeah it's pretty yeah they're my four my four things i like this idea that um something was getting too expensive to hire somebody else to do so you just learned how to do yeah. it <laughs> that's like i yeah i it really frustrates me when I know sometimes it's like it's just faster for you to do it yourself um and i think that there's like with photoshop and and mm-hmm. stuff like that mm-hmm. um you can just like it also when you're not paying people it's really hard to i find it really hard to demand them demand of that like hi can you do this and also can i have it done today like there's not i i think that's really unfair mm-hmm. um so i kind of just i th- i really get our photoshop skills um, where i can like do yeah. just enough like a lot of like copying and pasting and yeah. like you know i can't i'm not good but i can get it done sort of thing um, do you think that's your life motto yeah probably <laughs> totally look the quality (laughs) but it it, look it's published um yeah i think that there's a lot of um that i like yeah my attitude to a lot of things is like look nobody died like i'm not a doctor it's not life or death i (laughs) usually think about ambulance officers totally exactly it's like you know we are making like we're making 
we're making art or we're producing art or and it's important but at the end of the day it's not life or death and i think that mm. that's really it may manifest eventually into life or death yeah. when the ideas that are circulated become dogma that people fight for or against but and maybe we're lucky that we are not living in environments where the kind of art that we're talking about does result in life or death totally. for us because i'm sure it does for some people absolutely um one of my f- a couple of my friends in manila talk about um the usefulness of being just a just famous enough that the government can't make you disappear when you're making artwork that is against them yeah because if you're if you're almost nobody it's quite easy no one will notice but if you're known enough people will ask questions yeah and that's a really that's an exciting like i think that's really exciting and back to that kind of like making without having to you know tick boxes or grand boxes or whatever yeah. like it it does give you this this freedom they're ticking the box of survival yeah um what's so for all of those things and then i'm sure there's little like half appendages as well on that those four and a half <laughs> what's your biggest hope for like all of these all the effort I sometimes I think I'm just not that ambitious. Um like I just take it's I like and it, the interesting thing is that and something like you I n- could have never I kind of learned not to plan that far ahead in a way. Mm-hmm. Um like you never really know what opportunity is going to come mm-hmm. and actually someone told me once that like stuff comes from other stuff which is a <laughs> great life advice but like you like i um worked at tedx new sydney a couple years ago and i programmed i'm reader to speak at that and from that you know this other project has come and you can't which i think is quite a nice thing to realize it's like you actually just have no control mm-hmm. um and so and you have no idea which direction things are going to take you in terms of my hope for like i'm real i feel really strongly about the, like sydney as a city and a cultural space and i guess my hope is that like it can be appreciated for the amazing the amazing like landscape that it is like there is just really exciting things going on um and i think we're quite down on it and we're down like the amount of people i know who are like i'm going to move to melbourne i'm just like makes me so i feel like you've they've given up um i understand that yeah i moved away from darwin yeah <laughs> to sydney <laughs> <laughs> well to everywhere yeah the but there's a there's like a framework that brings out the best in you and if you don't find that then the best in you is not being given to the world yeah i think that's really like and that whole idea of um when i lived in brisbane and i was only there for a full month so i didn't necessarily like immerse like i didn't feel like i i immersed myself into the community but i was working at the gallery and hanging out with people who worked in the gallery and there was almost this complacency 
and I don't know whether it comes from the weather, but you'd be like, you know, what are we doing? They're like, ah, oh, picnic. Like, you know, and, and there was no, I didn't really get a sense that the people there were had the same drive to make or the drive to um, produce some, like to produce something as as I feel with almost everyone around me in Sydney. Mm. Um, and I think that that's really, it's really exciting to be around that energy. And I don't know whether, like how you change that um, and whether, like people, one of my housemates always says that the reason why Melbourne is so exciting is because it's cold all the time. Um, so they, you know, they're not you know once you've had a day at the beach it's actually really hard to motivate yourself to do anything else um because you're like half sunstroked and whatever but i don't know what it is about those communities like darwin and like brisbane and whether it is because you're not supported i feel um culturally i feel darwin is very rich financially i think it's actually the opposite to brisbane i'm not saying that brisbane is not culturally rich because there are places like logan that are stupidly culturally interesting um but they're not the rich financial centers either something about darwin being as hot as southeast asian countries and having massive southeast asian population uh relative to its um anglo population and still having a very um active indigenous population with their cultural dances like on bombing of darwin ceremony days there'll be the military parade but part of the military parade will include uh an indigenous dance that was made in response to when the japanese flew over wow so shit like that darwin is stupidly steeped in embodied culture performing culture um especially the large filipino communities which is like the only reason i think i'm a dancer today is because i saw some filipino boys doing break dance and i was like oh yeah i can it's okay i can dance these guys doing it real cool um but i think the the kind of uh i i want to push back against that heat that being warm and having a good life results in shit art and I want to push back against it so much because I want both things. Mm. <laughs> I want to be warm and I want to be critically engaged. And uh, there must be... I think there are countries with incredible culture that are also warm. Mexico and the Philippines and places like this. But at the same time not governmentally supported in this like Westminster system Mm. that we live in in Australia but then it is the southern states of Australia and even I count Brisbane because it's only an hour from the New South Wales border like Mm. it's pretty southern that um it is also existing within that idea of like the bureaucracy funding the artwork that can uh be work as ambassador to other nations within international relationships based on trade and avoiding war and shit like that Mm. but it's not from the needs of the communities to have a culture which they can gather around yeah and so it's like there's two different art scenes two different cultural communities going on and one is the funded one which 
is our state companies that can be put on Qantas ads um, because they're our national carrier. And then one is the one where people are like, fuck, we're going to live in this city together. How are we going to do that? How is it going to be good? Mm. And I think the... Just sort of Qantas. <laughs> Wanaga was... Um, Wanaga was... Wanaga he would have been Blanco. on the Qantas ad He was on the Qantas point. ad. I remember and he, being on a Qantas ad at one He point. was saying that, you know, all of the things that he's done... This is just a funny anecdote. But he was saying, you know, of all of the things he's done, he's the, you know, principal dancer of an, the, one of the greatest dance companies in our country, Bangara. And he... He's done all these amazing things, and now everyone's like, oh, you're the guy from the Qantas ad. And he's like, guys, I'm so much more than that. Um, but I think that the – I think as well, like, within what, like, what the artist can be critical of, even though, like, there's a – there's kind of heart – there's – obviously, we're, like, talking about Sydney as this, like – I was like, oh, my mom's calling. But no, it's our um – 10 minutes. Talking about Sydney as the, like, a, a place that is, like, obviously we're not as hard done by as so many other countries. But I think artists, like, there are other challenges that we're faced mm. with, like, um, Rosalind Helper makes really amazing art that's super critical of the internet and how it's changed the way that we socialize and i think her art is so conceptually dense and and fascinating and it's yeah there's still value in that Mm -hmm. um despite it not being life order (laughs) (laughs) hey sammy how are you going how are you i'm good no, what did it say? Where are you? Oh, I'll be there in like 10 minutes. Um, it Is it because you told her that we were having breakfast? <laughs> yes! Oh my god, amazing. That's so exciting. Cool. Well, I'm just finishing up this thing at FBI, but I'll see you there at like 10.35. Okay, bye, Sam. That's my next thing that I have to do. It's um Sam. Do you know Sam from Art Month? Yeah. She's so lovely, evidently. Um, do you hear that you bring up people's names and then you celebrate them? <laughs> and I really, I get really concerned that it's um, disingenuous. Yeah, no, yeah, or like that because I'll, I'll be like, oh, this person, I love them. Like, this person, <laughs> she's amazing. And I'm like, I really hope that people don't think that I say it about everyone because I don't. And I also, like, yeah, I, like I mean, like I mean, I mean it every time I say it because, yeah, they're just. Um, but it must, it must be nice. It to, is really to nice live that way. It is I nice, and I think as well. Like one of the things I think a lot about the art world is that we are so close, um, and. 
like it kind of like there is just no like you could be really competitive because it's like there's such a scarcity of opportunities in a way um and so you could be really competitive about it um and that would just be such a terrible time because it's so much more enjoyable to be like supportive and i think that's like definitely the climate we come from like i just think that yeah that it's yeah it's just so much more enjoyable to sort of work with and support and help out mm. other people that like i've never really been a competitive person i think it like never played sports never really like you know not a winner um but so <laughs> it helps but uh-huh. there's definitely um it's so enjoyable to yeah work with amazing people and do anything you can to help mm. and support each other um so that's definitely my and also i rely so heavily on other people around me that um it's kind of yeah we're all just helping each other up which is really fun I guess that's your why. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I question the why because you're like, oh my God, we're making weird contemporary art and like, and what does it mean? And like one of my really close friends um, was like, I think I'm going to become a paramedic. Like she, oh, like a nurse, she decided, you know. Because it's less stressful? Just because you're helping, like sometimes. In a, yeah. With, you know, with after party, um, you're facilitating like artists to perform um but you're also just throwing a party yes and like at the end of the day and it gets to it gets to about ten thirty. i just have to like sit and wait for all of the you know but it, all the people who, the people who <laughs> the players all the players all the kids all the everybody who come to party yeah. i just wait for the them patients. to go home yeah. um and sometimes you're like why do we do this um and it can get my theory on the difference is that it's like there are people who are attending to the ill and there are people who are attending to the well and there's a spectrum of that like um medically ill or socially or have social ailments or um you know have logistic ailments and you can attend in those ways and then what once those people don't have those logistic needs mm. then what do they need they need something to believe in they need something to work towards they need something to support they need something to um take them beyond a pedestrian modality i think is this is like they've got to this stage where some of the projects that i'm working on have have money <laughs> crazy what <laughs> and and do you just get it like cash it all in for five dollar yeah. bills and then just like make no, it rain i just feel really like I, I almost take this like the wide too far that i only um i like i feel really strongly about like supporting nice people yes <laughs> it's almost like, Amen. like someone i have you know if i have to it's find like someone darwinism if, totally if, if the nice people survive there will be more nice totally. people i'm like if someone if i have money that i can give to someone i'm like anyone know any nice people like, I'm like <laughs> i had to i get really like yeah. I want the good people to like to, to like rise to the top and like be supported and like yeah, it's yeah, almost yeah. <laughs> it's so it's almost like it's it's like I know I sound like I'm a really nice person because I say really nice things about people all the time but I'm like it's to, to the point where I'm like 
you like you got to be nice to like I want nice people to win in this game, um, and so I'll always make sure that I hire, like work with really nice people and and don't work with. Not actually, it's I can't even think of anyone not nice that I've worked with, but it is really no. important with for me. Like if I'm finding like a photographer or a DJ or whatever, that it's it's odd. Like that that person's really nice. Let's. Yeah. I hey, I have some money to give you. Would you like? Can I please? Can I pay your rent this week, please? Yeah. Um, like, yeah, that's a really exciting time. It's a choreographer called Thomas Kelly, E. S. Kelly, and he also speaks about actually just um, the, one of the best things he can do as a choreographer is make jobs for people, so people can yeah. keep being dancers. It's really. Like, I, we, I had a photographer who came and has photographed after party f- for the first year that we did it mm-hmm. completely for free. And he is an incredible photographer. And also, I understand that, like, you know, with photography, you're not just taking photos. You're then going back and editing them, and it's incredibly time-consuming. Yes. And this year, we sort of looked at our budget, um, and we were like, I was like, it's really important that we that their money goes to him because he's been so good to us and now anytime I need a photographer for anything I'm like Tim can you do it <laughs> because it's and it's kind of yeah it's and it sucks that he had to work for free for a year but we just didn't like have the capacity but it's now like any time any no. you know institution you or anyone stuff leads to stuff totally um yeah <laughs> my, my life advice <laughs> stuff leads to other stuff um and you don't necessarily know what way so it sounds go. like um that stuff leads to stuff but always be really discerning about how everybody is there why and how yeah because if they come with the right feels then that's the right stuff leading to right stuff totally because if you if you're there and you don't it's like you can be overcommitted, but if you love everything you're doing that balance will remain okay the balance will remain okay but if you're not a hundred or like 98 percent invested in everything you do or you don't see the why Mm. then there's no then it's just a bad it's a bad time and i think that question of how do you say no to things Mm. is so important to think about is there something that you want more of that you feel like we haven't got to but we could get to in this in terms of like the why or the effort (laughs) in this uh, I want an epiphany right now a truth bomb Um, I would I would like more time I think one of the things that I'm challenged with at the moment is um, stability versus I guess creativity Um, excitingness or surprise like that's the difference between surprise and shock surprises are the unexpected things that you like yeah and shocks the unexpected that you don't like they're so in in kind of the way one of my goals for this year um was oh a whole year i know i'm like a very goal oriented person so like last year my goal was to embrace my youth um, so I just like, and can anybody do that at any age? A hundred percent. Um, okay. so there was an umbre- the umbrella theme was embrace my youth, and underneath yeah. that there were like three subheadings, and one was dance more, and then another one. I might be able to yeah assist that dance more. If you want to like call someone year. and help. Oh no! Dance I could have helped. Um, and be content with where I was. So I think that there's if a you're lot. dancing. <laughs> oh my god! I'm always content if I'm dancing. Um, I'm ecstatic, actually. But 
like I think I was working as a host at the MCA and there's a definitely a feeling in that role where you're 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 it's a transit kind of you know you're not mm-hmm. going to be there for the rest of mm-hmm. life and you want to go somewhere and I really admired the people who I worked with who were okay with that yeah. that they were like we're here now and mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of you know everybody is kind of like I need to everyone's trying to go somewhere or like go and I was like I just want to be like I'm here and that's okay um and I had to just like (laughs) push that into my brain um so yeah that was my like two I was like dance more be be content with where you are and what you're doing and and not trying to like I think they help each other dancing yeah dancing helps everything um and then the this year I kind of wanted to I was like okay I'm like I'm gonna be an adult this year I know um because you already embraced the shit out of your youth yes I just like wrong and dry (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I was trying to be I'm trying to be an adult and one of those things is sort of have a stable job um but it's so hard because now people are like Stuff has led to stuff. Stuff has led to stuff, and people are calling me, being like, "Do you want to produce this thing?" And and part of me is like, "Yes," but then another part of me is like, "But stability, like stability." And I think that in the arts is really hard and confusing yeah. um, because you know having a job that has a salary and you get paid mm. weekly is really exciting. And then you know, and Rita called me and was like, "I'm I'm going to Melbourne next week. Do you want to be my producer?" And I was like. I already took a week off to produce your other thing, so I, I can't. I have to stay at my job job, and that's hard as well. Mm. Um, but it's also good mm. because, yeah, you've got to... I yeah. think I was shielded from the belief that there is stability because both my parents run small businesses, and so I grew up around that idea that that stability just comes from making sure that there is work for you to do. Actually, there's no magic um, money that will come in every week. But I see that that's alluring. Most, both my parents are accountants. (laughs) So they knew it was coming and they watched it come in. Yeah. They knew where it was going. Totally. And they, my mum particularly, um, and I, yeah, was very, she became an, like, well, the like story of her life, but she became an account. Like she graduated, and she was going to uni in the seventies, and there was a recession. And she was just like, "I want to be independent all the time." And so that has been, yeah, like in terms of growing up, like it's like st- she was like stability, stability. Mm-hmm. It's a thing you got to do. So I think that that's always kind of like in the back of my head mm-hmm. uh, because when your parents are accountants. <laughs> That's something you've got to... And this, like, my mother is 100% the reason that I do art. Um, she's dragged us to every sort of gallery. I always tell her that she did too good of a job. And, like, you know, you didn't realise when you, I was five and you were dragging me to art galleries that, like, look what you've done. Um, now I'm here in this... Um, now I'm in charge of the damn place. I'm in charge of it and it's really stressful. Um, but, yeah, so that's her fault. Um, so yeah, she's incredibly supportive, but still an accountant. <laughs> you can't get out of it. Do I'm just um, respectful of your time. Yeah. You've got to go. Do you have an epiphany you want to finish your breakthrough? Wisdom. <laughs> Sorry. Stuff leads to stuff. Stuff leads to stuff. Being a nice person. Good.
is in there and it will get because you. Because I'm not even <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, no worries. Thank you.